Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the postseason edition of the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. We're through the 2019 regular season. All the conference champions are crowned. Army Navy is in the books. The Heisman was an unspectacular but totally expected finish, and we're here with you today to talk about bowl games. We will be taking off next week over the Christmas break, and so we will be doing a double issue for you today, looking at all the bowl games leading up to New Year's Day. And we will be doing this in four segments for you, breaking it down chronologically. I'm here as always with John Mitchell, looking forward to talking with him about bowl games. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing well. Excited to ramp up the bowl season, our last foray until the off season. So a lot of really interesting matchups. Looking forward to going into those with you. Awesome. So yeah, we're looking at the opening weekend coming right up in just a couple days here. Uh, We start off with two bowl games on Friday night, December 20th. The first, the Bahamas Bowl, they're down in Nassau at Thomas Robinson Stadium. Uh, We got Buffalo against Charlotte. What do you uh, think is going to happen here? We've obviously got Buffalo as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you think is going to happen for the Bulls? You know, I, I don't think enough has been said about the job that Lance Leopold did for Buffalo this season after losing so much talent last year. You know, Tyree Jackson, Anthony Johnson all moving on, and him still putting together a really solid team up there and them going 7-5. I like Buffalo. Honestly, I think they're the more balanced team. They've got a high-powered offense. They've got a solid defense. Uh, so that back on both sides of the ball should win the day. So I like Buffalo in this game. I think that's really smart, you know, I, I think uh, with the rushing offense in this one and the rushing defense, you've got top 10 on both sides of the ball there. And they're just going to churn out the clock. Uh, only three teams in the country control the clock longer than Buffalo. You know, it's really sweet to see Charlotte in their first ever bowl game. Hats off to the 49ers for that. But they really got lucky getting there as the fourth best team in their division. And I I think in the end, you're absolutely right. Buffalo has a nice, clean win in this game. For the second game on that Saturday, or on Friday night, rather, on the 20th, we've got Utah State playing Kent State in the Frisco Bowl down there in Texas. Utah State's a touchdown favorite, John. Uh, What do you think is going to be happening there in Frisco? You know, it's an interesting game. You know, Jordan Love's already announced that he's leaving Utah State for the NFL draft, uh, a guy who a lot of people think could go in the first round. But he is planning on playing in the bowl game. So this kind of feels like the last, you know, big moment for him in college. He's had a terrific career at Utah State, been a really fun quarterback to watch. So my expectation is he goes out with a bang, has a big day against Kent State, and Utah State rolls to a pretty easy victory. Yeah, you know, it's been kind of an up-and-down season in Gary Anderson's first season back there in Logan, but they're going to hit on that high note. They did, you know, they had a decent year. They didn't exactly push Boise State for the conference crown, or the division crown, rather, there in the in the Mountain West Mountain Division. But I think you're absolutely right. Jordan loves last hurrah. He needs to put on a show as a group of five quarterback coming 
into the NFL draft, and this is his platform to do, to do it against a Kent State team that, let's face it, has been 99th in the country in pass efficiency defense. It, I, I think he's going to have his day. Uh, so Utah State covers that easily. So we're two out of two, everybody, but let's look quickly at a game where we don't actually have a point spread. Uh, the Celebration Bowl pits the top two historic black colleges and universities. Alcorn State is uh, the SWAC winner. We have uh, North Carolina A&T out of the Mideast uh, there, the MEAC. And uh, I think it's going to be a great game. This is always a fun game down there in, uh, in New Orleans. So what do you think is going to happen in this one, John? Yes, you know, we talked about this on the preseason, how, you know, big of a game this is for HBCUs. Um, I think it'll be a really good one. Um, I kind of defer because I haven't watched a lot of um, football of either team this year. I kind of defer to Bill Conley's FP Plus system. He has Alcorn State winning, I think, 27-26. So it would be a kind of minor upset, I believe, in that game. So I'll go with the Braves. You know, obviously, uh, NCANT has own this game the past few years. I think it's three of the first four editions of it. They've actually won trying to go for four out of five. But I'm with Connolly on this. Alcorn State looks really good, especially on defense. No team takes away the ball more than the Braves. And so as good as the Aggies have been, um, obviously they're pretty good on defense as well, and they're just a team that kills the clock. Great on both sides of the ball against the run, and they're a top 10 team in possession. But I, I think it's going to be close, but I, I'm, I'm with him. I think Alcorn State finally breaks that NCANT run. Moving on to our second game on December 21st, uh, with the Celebration Bowl, our kickoff on Saturday. Uh, we go to New Mexico next for Central Michigan and San Diego State in the New Mexico Bowl there in Albuquerque. San Diego State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, and I'm going to be honest with you, John. I the way What I've seen out of Central Michigan, I, I think they're probably the better team here. Um, the key is really just going to be... Um, breaking down a San Diego State defense that's fourth in the country in points allowed. Uh, so I think this one's going to be close. I actually think Central Michigan covers, but San Diego State wins by a field goal. Okay, so we got a little bit of disagreement here because I think Central Michigan's going to win this game outright. And, you you know, you mentioned how good San Diego State's been on defense. They've been abysmal offensively all season long. They haven't scored more than 20 points since the last weekend of October in a single game. They averaged just 19 points per game this year. Their defense has been good. They have been sort of susceptible to the pass at times, though. Uh, and I think Quentin Dormandy is going to have a, a pretty solid day through the air. I just don't think that San Diego State's offense is going to be able to muster enough points to keep up with uh, a Central Michigan offense that I think with time to prepare will have a good game plan and be able to score uh, maybe a little bit early on in that game and build a lead, then I just don't think the Aztecs will be able to battle back from it. So I actually like to chip along that right. All right. There you go, folks. We got our first disagreement of this bowl preview special. Let's see if we can keep it going, because you know what happens when we agree too much on these games. Uh, 
you better be hoping that it's your team that isn't getting picked. We'll put it that way. Uh, moving on to our third game on December 21st, we got a stacked Saturday schedule coming up with seven games. So number three is the Cure Bowl there between Liberty and Georgia Southern in Orlando. Uh Liberty is a five-point underdog in this one. We've seen Georgia Southern uh, deal App State, their only loss of the season, probably keeping the Mountaineers out of the Cotton Bowl this year. Um, So honestly, I like Georgia Southern in this one. I don't know how you feel about this one, John. I I agree with you, I think. I just think that the type of offense Georgia Southern runs is going to be tough for Liberty to prepare for. Um, I like shy words a lot. I think that ground game will be able to control the clock, keep an explosive Liberty offense off the field. You know, a surprising Liberty bowl team, you know, when Hugh Freeze's first year, I think a lot of people expected with his ability as a coach that they'd show some improvement. I don't think a lot of people thought that'd be seven and five and then a bowl game here. I still like Georgia Southern. These are two teams that are pretty evenly matched. I just think Georgia Southern's ability to kind of sit on the football and control the clock for long chunks of the game will be the difference. I think that's, yeah, I, I mean, we're in agreement once again. There we go back to it, folks. Let's move a little bit up the Sunshine State, uh, or across the Sunshine State, I should say, to Boca Raton for the Boca Raton Bowl between SMU and Florida Atlantic, playing there in their home stadium uh, yet again uh, for the second time in three years, actually. As the Conference USA champion, uh, they'll be doing it without Lane Kiffin, though. Uh, so we see that SMU comes in as a three-point favorite. Do you think that's a fair line, or do you think that's easy money, John? I think that's probably fair. I think Florida Atlantic losing Kiffin's pretty a pretty big deal because I think his ability to kind of scheme them into to good. Uh, into wins and stuff was kind of underrated for that team. So I think this, though, Zach, might be one of the more fun bowl games of the entire bowl season. Because I think this could easily be a track meet between two offenses that, you know, know how to put up points. Both average 35-plus points a game. They both put up the better part of 440-plus yards a game on offense. And both defenses have shown the ability to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points in certain aspects. Florida Atlantic's been hot, but I think losing Kiffin's going to ultimately hurt them in this one. I like SMU to win, but like I said, I think it'll be close, and I think it'll be a shootout. I wouldn't surprise me if this is a game that's played in the 40s both ways. See, I was thinking even bigger. I think this could be the highest-scoring game of the entire bowl season, the way it lines up. We've seen SMU play a couple of really big shootouts, and I, I see total points going into triple digits on this one. Um, I think SMU can eventually win it by a touchdown, but I think this is like a 59-52 game. I think we're going to have a really fun one to watch. This was actually one that in my uh, five underrated bowl games at Saturday Blitz, this is one I definitely tabbed for it because I think we're going to get points. So, yeah, so the, the over 70 and a half, I think we both in agreement that that's pretty safe. Yeah, that's safe money right there. Um you you could bump that up 10, 15 points, and I think that might be safe money still. So, uh, take it. Moving on to uh, game number five on Saturday, uh, the Camellia Bowl will be taking place between Florida International and Arkansas State. 
the Sun Belt team comes in as a two point five point two and a half point favorite, excuse me, against the former Sun Belt team, uh, FIU. So Red Wolves are the favorite in this one. Do you think that's uh, that's going to pan out the way that that Vegas is thinking? Yeah, you got two teams in this game who both give up more points than they've scored all season. So, you know, anybody's guess on the consistency and how these two teams perform. I lean towards Arkansas State, and honestly, it's the homer in me standing out, Zach, because Arkansas State's quarterback, Lane Hatcher, was a walk-on at Alabama before he transferred to play for the Red Wolves. He's been a revelation for Arkansas State this year, throwing for 2,500 yards and 23 touchdowns. I think he has a solid bowl game. And this is another game that I could really see with a lot of points being on the board. Um, so I, I like Arkansas State and what ends up being a bit of a shootout. Yeah, when I have one of these types of games, you know, some of the thing, one of the places I really like to go is how do they do in the red zone? And you're absolutely right. The Red Wolves are 26th in defense in the red zone, um, holding teams scoreless about 23% of the time. And when they have the ball inside the 20, they scored an 87.5% clip, seven out of eight times that they're there. On the other hand, uh, FIU has not been good at all. They're 112th out of 130 teams in both categories. Definitely not what you'd expect out of a bowl team. They allow teams to score eight out of every nine times they're inside the red zone, so that bodes in Arkansas State's favor. And when they have the ball inside the 20, they miss about a quarter of the time. So we see this lineup exactly between these two teams for the Red Wolves to to have a, a victorious game and, and beat a really low spread, I think, there. So... <laughs> We have two more games left before we're going to take our first break. And I, I think these next two are really, they, they're probably the best two of the day. Uh, the first one is going to be taking place in the final uh, Las Vegas Bowl at Sam Boyd Stadium before they move into the new Raiders Stadium in 2020. And they got a hell of a matchup here. Uh, you can call it the Chris Peterson Bowl, kind of like we had the Bobby Bowden Bowl between Florida State and West Virginia a couple years ago, right before he retired. Chris Peterson, obviously, former coach of Boise State, gets to play his former team in his final game as the Washington Huskies head coach. Uh, his Huskies come into this as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, despite what ended up being a disappointing 7-5 and five season there in Seattle, uh, ending in that three-way tie, I think it was, at 4-5 and five for the Pac-12 North behind Oregon. Um, but, you know, he's going to try to go out on a high note against his former team where he really made his name for himself. Do you think he can... Uh, get one final Gatorade shower before he heads out of the sideline? I think this game's going to end the way most games ended for Chris Peterson while he was at Boise State, and that's with a Broncos victory. Um, I think it's a fitting way for his career to go out. Uh, if this does turn out to be the last game that he coaches, I think we're both kind of in the same boat that it would be, I would be at least surprised if he doesn't end up coming back at a certain point. But I just think that, you know, this is kind of the perfect storm for Boise State. They're disappointed they didn't get into the New Year's Six. But what a juicy matchup they get to go against their former coach. 
Uh, none of the players obviously played for him there, but still they know him. And getting to play a, a team like Washington that was in the Rose Bowl last season. So they got the name value and everything there. I like Boise State in this game. Obviously, Washington's going to be trying to play as hard as they can to get Peterson one last big three. But I like the Broncos and what's probably more of a defensive struggle, uh, something along the lines of um, 28-24, 24-21, something like that. I don't think we'll have too many points in this one. A good overall game. But I like Boise State actually to pull it out. Yeah, I could see this one playing out a lot like the Washington-Oregon game did earlier this year where – Washington might even get out to a nice, you know, like two touchdown lead. And then Boise State just kind of like lets the rabbit out on the string and chases them down. Uh, So, yeah, I I think you probably got a good, you know, solid guess there with the score. And, uh, yeah, I I, I think it's going to be an... you know, Boise State is motivated. This is their first 12-win season since Brian Harson's first season when he took them to the Fiesta Bowl. And this could be their first 13-win season since Chris Peterson took them to the Fiesta Bowl in 2009 against TCU. So when they went 14-0 and and ran the table. So definitely an interesting fitting uh sort of bittersweet way for Peterson to go out. I think we're both in agreement on that. The final game is another team that is somewhat disappointed about how their season ended in the group of five race. Uh, talking about Appalachian State, they're headed to the New Orleans Bowl. It's the Sun Belt champion. But had they not lost to Georgia Southern, they very well could be playing Penn State in the Cotton Bowl rather than UAB in New Orleans. Uh, they come into this game as a 16 and a half point favorite. This is the widest spread of, uh, the first Saturday by a wide margin. Um, how badly do you think they're going to beat up on the Blazers to show that the committee made the wrong decision? You know, you got to look at motivation as a factor in this game. you we only talk about that when it's the big boys, that sleepwalk through a bowl game. So it'll be interesting if Appalachian State can get fired up to play against what's kind of a disappointing opponent. It would have been a lot. I know, obviously, the the um, Sun Belt champions auto-assigned to the New Orleans Bowl if they don't go to the New Year's Six. And I just would have liked to have seen App State get another crack at being a Power 5 opponent, I guess. Maybe that's just me being kind of selfish there. I just don't think this UAB team is very good this year. They went 9-4, and four, but... Their average, more, they only scored three more points per game than their opponents all season long. They got some fortuitous bounces to get to where they are. They're well coached with Bill Clark, as we've mentioned several times. Uh, but App State's a much, much better team. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest blowout of the bowl season. Florida Atlantic beat UAB 49-6 <laughs> in the Conference USA Championship game. It wouldn't shock me if we get something along those lines in New Orleans. Yeah, I I mean, you're absolutely right. UAB is not going to score enough against App State, and I, I think they're going to be motivated. You know, uh, Eliah Drinkwitz is going to Missouri after one season at the helm, uh, getting a $4 million a year contract to take over the Tigers. And, you know, this team is 
yeah, let's say it frankly, they're pissed off because had they not blown that Halloween game, I, I, I very well think the committee would have selected them. The novelty of having the first Sunbelt team go to a major bowl game um, would have been too tantalizing to pass up. You know, they didn't do it in the BCS era. Uh, they didn't. They haven't done it yet in the college football playoff era, and it would have been a really juicy storyline there, especially with this sort of giant killer story that they have. But we, you know, and you know, they played Penn State before, so we probably would have seen Penn State in the Rose Bowl in Wisconsin back in the Cotton Bowl again, playing another Group of Five team. However that shook out, though, it, it didn't. We're looking at silly counterfactuals now. Um, I'm absolutely with you, though. App State is going to crush the Blazers. We saw what FAU did to them in the Conference USA Championship game, and it's going to be far worse with App State. I, I, I think this is one of those like 52-17 games, if they're lucky. So, on that note, everybody, uh, that takes us through the first Saturday of bowl season. We'll be coming back for uh, the games buttressing either side of Christmas Day when we have no bowl games, uh, but we get them every other day of the, the work week there. And uh, we'll be talking about that next after the break. Welcome back uh, from the break, everybody, uh, back here to the Saturday Blitz podcast. We're talking about bowl season. This is our big bowl preview. Uh, we just talked about the first uh, weekend of bowl games coming up uh, on Friday and Saturday in our first segment, and now we're here to talk to you about Monday through Friday coming up right after that, uh, since we will not be back for that week. Uh on holiday break. We're going to talk about it now. Uh, the first game up on December 23rd is the Gasparilla Bowl there in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, this is the game UCF is playing in this year rather than one of the New Year's Six Bowls as we've seen them in each of the past two years. They're taking on a Marshall team that we were high on in the preseason, but uh, ended up flaming out and not finishing top of the Conference USA East standings. UCF has a chance to become a 10-win team for the third straight season here, uh, and they come in as a 17.5-point favorite. We talked a bit about how motivation factors into some of these games, John. And after two straight seasons of New Year's Six bound action, do you think UCF's going to get up for this game? I actually do. I, I think they've got something to prove here. I think they want to show the nation that they're still one of the, not just the premier group of five programs in the nation, but among the better teams in the country. Um, I think they're demonstrably better than Marshall. I think both teams... Um, you know, pretty evenly matched on defense if you look at it statistically, but Central Florida's offense is just so much better, so much more explosive, whether it's Dylan Gabriel at quarterback or whoever. They just put up points and bunches. Um, really, it's, you know, whoever can just get the ball to Gabriel Davis and get out of his way at this point has been the best option for that offense. But I just don't think Marshall can keep up in a shootout. So my, my best estimate would be UCF 42-24 or something like that. 
just don't think the Thundering Herd have enough firepower to keep up with the Explosive Knights. So you think UCF covers it, sounds like they're yes. uh, just barely, but uh, I think that's probably fair. I, I, I think uh, the Thundering Herd just didn't get it done this year. They're one of those teams that they don't commit a lot of penalties, but they're not great on kickoffs. They're not incredible on punts. They don't do well on special teams like that. Um, so they've really got to be good on one side of the ball or the other, and they've been just mediocre at best. And that's not going to get it done against a UCF team, like you said, that is motivated to, to win triple digits for three straight years, to do it in resounding fashion since they didn't get to do it against a, a Power 5 team this year. Moving on, we've got our classic Christmas Eve game out in Honolulu. The Hawaii Bowl will be taking place with Hawaii there in their home stadium, Aloha Stadium, taking on BYU. Uh, This should be a really well-attended game. I think you're going to have a lot of fans celebrating on both sides. BYU fans travel well, plus you have a a strong presence there with, I believe, a BYU campus in Hawaii as well. Um, So this should be a really fun game all around um, the atmosphere, the action. BYU's a two-point favorite. We've seen what they could do against uh, Mountain West teams this year when they took down Boise State. We've seen what they could do against Power 5 teams when they took down USC and Tennessee. Uh, what, but at the same time, we've seen what Hawaii can do going 2-1 and one against the Pac-12 this year and making it all the way to the Mountain West Championship game. I'm, I, I really want to ask you first on this game, John, because I, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of throwing my hands up about this. What do you think is going to happen? You know, the Hawaii Bowl is one of my favorite bowl games every year because it's always on Christmas Eve. It's always kind of the game you're watching out of the corner of your eye while you're enjoying family or eating Christmas Eve dinner. So I always just really enjoyed it. And Hawaii's been one of my favorite teams to watch this year, one of our favorite teams in the preseason. I love watching Cole McDonald play because when he's playing, something interesting is going to happen. It's feast or famine. There's no real in-between He's going to go out there, he's going to throw five touchdowns, but he just as well might throw five interceptions at the same time. So you never really know uh, with him. So I think this game has a chance to be a lot of fun. But one thing that was interesting over the last month of the season was I thought Hawaii's defense kind of turned the corner. They were really impressive against uh, UNLV and San Diego State in back-to-back weeks, only giving up 18 points, and what ultimately helped them clinch their division in the Mountain West. Um, I think Hawaii's defense is going to step up some in this game and make a couple more stops than BYU is able to. And Cole McDonald, while he probably throws a couple picks, I think he does throw five touchdown passes in this game and gets the win in front of his home crowd. Hawaii gets that 10th victory. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about McDonald's season. It's been up and down. You know, we saw him play one of the most exciting games of the entire long kickoff weekend from that last weekend in August through Labor Day uh, as they beat Arizona. But at the same time, he's had really just kind of mind-boggling performances that have really inspired them to throw in Siobhan Cordero, who's also a damn good quarterback. I mean, between these two guys, this team is sixth in the nation in passing offense. So 
they're going to have a lot of fun against BYU. Uh, this is a BYU team that's just 61st in pass efficiency defense. They do give up only 203.8 yards a game on average through the air. That figure is going to go way up after this game. Obviously, with you know 13 games to balance it out, it's not quite as bad as you average it. But I can see that going up 30 or 40 yards in total average, and them going up like 15 or 20 spots in those, you know, in that final ranking in passing yards allowed. I, I think this is Hawaii's game to win on their home turf. And we're continuing the streak of agreeing with each other, everybody. So, uh, bet against everything, probably make a million. <laughs> Once we uh, get through Christmas, up comes Boxing Day where we got a couple of games. The first one is the Independence Bowl there in Shreveport. Uh, we've got Louisiana Tech, a home crowd team, playing against the Miami Hurricanes. Uh which might not have necessarily thought that they were headed to Shreveport this year, but there they are. The uh, Canes come in as a six-point favorite in Manny Diaz's first season at the helm. Uh, do you think that they're going to actually cover that against the Bulldogs? Man, I I have a tough time figuring out this game. This is one of the ones last week I talked about. It was one of the games I cared the least about this whole season. Just because neither team really performed well down the stretch. Uh, Louisiana Tech was in a really good position to end up in the Conference USA Championship game. They had back-to-back kind of listless performances at Marshall and at UAB in November that cost them that chance. And then Miami, after seemingly bouncing back with three straight wins over Pitt, Florida State, and Louisville, dropped their last two games to FIU and Duke. So what Hurricanes team is going to show up? What Louisiana Tech team is going to show up for this game? Obviously, Miami has the talent edge. If they show up to play, they should be able to dominate both lines of scrimmage. I have a tough time thinking that Louisiana Tech will be able to block Miami's defensive line. I just don't know if Miami's offense is going to show up and be able to generate much either. I think this game's a coin flip. I could see it being one of the more uglier games of the bowl season. So I'm going to hedge on this one. I'll take Miami, but I'll take Louisiana Tech to cover the spread. I'll take the Canes 20-17. to Nice. I, I, I think you're right. I think this will be a defensive struggle. Um, we always, you know, hear about Miami and the turnover chain, but uh, Louisiana Tech had four more turnovers that they gained this year than Miami did in the regular season. Uh, this was a top 12 team in takeaways, uh, Louisiana Tech specifically, had 23 takeaways, and they were uh, second in the or no, yeah, they were second in the country in defensive touchdowns with five of them. Only Illinois had more defensive touchdowns, which in itself is kind of mind-boggling to think about, but we'll, you know, we'll save that for another time. They were eighth in the country in interceptions with 15 of them, and I, I think that's exactly how this is going to go. You're going to see Miami probably coughing up four or five turnovers, uh, Louisiana Tech probably, you know, has three of them in this game. And uh, lovers of defense will have a field day because I think we could see a defensive touchdown on both sides of the ball or for both teams. So uh, 
I'm with you there. I, I like Louisiana Tech to win this game, though. I see it swinging that way as they kind of get that boost being there in their home state with a, um, you know, fans that are going to probably travel well to get to see him play a team like the Canes. And I, I just got to say, you know, that kind of speaks to the idea of, like, Appalachian State doesn't get to play, a, you know, power five team but louisiana tech does it, it it's uh the bowl season and uh automatic bowl tie-ins are a really interesting thing that honestly i'd love to see done away with but that's another story for another time as well maybe that's my postseason rant for you guys right out of the right out of the national championship game yeah well, i think you're definitely right there. I think bowl tie-ins should probably go away. We get more interesting matchups that way. But I like what you hit on with Louisiana Tech, too, because in bowl season, motivation always plays a big factor. you got two teams in that game. One of them's excited to be in Shreveport. One of them is not. Exactly. Well, let's think uh, about a couple of other teams that might or might not be excited where they're going because the second game on Boxing Day is the Quick Lane Bowl. They're at Ford Field in Detroit between Pittsburgh and Eastern Michigan. Uh, Eastern Michigan, obviously, they're an in-state game. They they should also have a good uh, crowd there showing up for that game, especially because they, too, get to play a Power 5 opponent in Pitt. Uh, the Panthers, you know, have been the Panthers, as they always are. Uh, this is the team that ended uh, UCF's 27-game regular season winning streak or back in September. And this is also a team that pitted their way right out of the Coastal. So, uh, talking about motivation, I'm going to be honest. Eastern Michigan is an 11-point underdog. I think at the very least they cover that. Yeah, I you know... I don't think either of these teams are very good, to be honest. you got two teams that gave up more points than they scored throughout the season. Uh, motivation, again, like you said. But, God, I don't know. Picking pit games is akin to a root canal for me because they're the biggest enigma in college football year in, year out. This is a team that's capable of shocking a, you know, top 15 team without breaking a sweat, but also a team that you could see losing to a team like Eastern Michigan in this kind of setting. So, who really knows? I think it's anyone's guess. Pitt last year, you know, they won the Coastal Division. A large part of that was their ground game with Quadre Elisan and those guys. They just haven't had that running game this year, and Kenny Pickett just hasn't taken that step that we said he would have to take for the Panthers to compete in the Coastal again this year. I think Pitt wins this game. I think it's probably a little bit closer than the spread indicates. Um, so I'll agree with you that Eastern Michigan covers, but I still think Pitt ultimately wins. I could see this being another kind of ugly game, much like Miami and Louisiana Tech. So if you've got other plans the day after Christmas, you could probably skip football that day. Yeah, honestly. Well, I'm honestly excited about the Tech-Miami game, but uh, I also like group of five teams a lot, as you all know. Moving on to... Uh, the 27th, that uh, Friday, right before the last weekend of the year, we've got five games being played, uh, which in and of itself is really interesting to think about given the fact that 
you know, some people do still have to work during that week. I'm not one of them, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to gloat. I'm happy to have a full game of football to watch there on that Friday, but first game is the Military Bowl. We've got uh, North Carolina playing Temple. Uh, also a couple of teams that have been enigmas this year. The Tar Heels come in as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, do you think they're going to end the year on a bang in Mac Brown's first year in Chapel Hill? One of the more impressive coaching jobs this year is what Mac Brown's been able to do for a North Carolina team that was just, they were dreadful last year, for lack of a better term. Sam Howell as a freshman quarterback, a revelation in Chapel Hill. Uh, you know Florida State fans are shaking their heads seeing him doing so well in Chapel Hill. He had 3,300 yards, 35 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, which is really impressive for a freshman quarterback. Going up against a Temple defense that, you know, is kind of hit or miss. You never know what's going to happen when those guys are out there. They've played really well. They've had really good performances. And they're also not that far removed from getting giving up 63 to Central Florida at the end of October. So, I don't know. I think this game could be really interesting. Another one that I think could be one of the better games of the bowl season. I like North Carolina to win, but I think their margin will be a little bit higher than that five-point spread. Yeah, I think this one could even come down to weather since it's being played there in Annapolis. And I think if that's, you know, the case, I think Temple's better suited to play a game in Annapolis-type weather than North Carolina might be. So I think it will be close. I think the Tar Heels can still carve this one out in the end by a field goal. But I'm with you. Again, I, I think Temple is defensively solid enough and... uh it, you know, just motivated enough in a game like this and suited enough for what the weather could potentially be to at least cover in this one. If not potentially win outright, I, I wouldn't go so far as to, to write them out completely in this one. We move a little bit east to the Bronx for the Pinstripe Bowl there at Yankee Stadium for the second game there on the 27th. Uh, this is an all-Power 5 matchup uh, between Michigan State and Wake Forest. Um, obviously a weird season for Mark D'Antonio this year in East Lansing. A uh, team that wasn't good in a lot of ways. At the same time, you know, you had a Wake Forest team that basically uh, snatched a trip to Yankee Stadium out of the grip of the Orange Bowl. So uh, Michigan State might be more motivated. Uh, Vegas, I think, might think so, given that they're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The question is, can Michigan State even score four-and-a-half points? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is your classic stoppable force versus the movable object, right? Because you got to... A Michigan State offense that has trouble scoring against air in practice, and you've got a Wake Forest defense that has trouble stopping the tackling dummies. So, I, you know, again, it's going to come down to which one of those units I think can muster up the most. Uh, I like, I think Vegas has it wrong here. I think Wake Forest should be favored by four and a half points, honestly. I think they're the better team. I think they have the offense that can break through against this Michigan State defense at a certain point. I just don't think the Spartans even against 
a lackluster Demon Deacons defense. I don't think they'll be able to put up enough offense to win this game. I like Wake Forest to win by a touchdown. I I, I think that's probably fair. Uh, Wake Forest, the only thing that could really knock them down, as we said, is motivation. How excited are they really to be going to Yankee Stadium when a New Year's Six birth was there for them let's be honest they kind of choked away the end game there as they really had that potential and sort of handed it over to Virginia and I I think I I think they cover this game but I I think this is going to be sloppy and ugly and that's always been the type of game that Mark D'Antonio has loved so I, I I see him winning by a field goal and him not giving a damn that they didn't cover the spread so we got three games left folks we're going to be moving to warmer climates uh beginning with the Texas Bowl uh between Oklahoma State and Texas A&M down there in Houston at NRG Stadium Texas A&M comes in as a seven-point favorite in this game. Uh, Oklahoma State obviously ended the year with some sad times in Bedlam, but it's been an up-and-down year for both of these teams. I think the the key here is uh, really looking at offense versus defense, and specifically the... uh, Texas A&M defense, the run defense, uh, they're 29th in the country. They only allow 129 yards a game. And, you know, Chuba Hubbard has been an unstoppable force and led the country in rushing. So, really, it comes down to which of those two units uh, come out on top in this battle to see who's going to win this game. And I like Hubbard and the Cowboys. Um, I think this is kind of one of those games like the Pinstripe Bowl where I think Vegas has it flipped from where it should be. I don't know that Oklahoma State should necessarily be favored by a full touchdown, but I also don't think the Aggies should be. No, I completely agree. This spread's one of the ones that really popped to me when I was first going through the line for bowl season. I'm stunned that A&M's favored by that many points. Uh, and also, if we could say for a quick second, there's no reason this Texas Bowl shouldn't be Texas A&M versus Texas, by the way. There's no reason that should not have happened. That would have made for just appointment television. Not to say that this game won't be good. I think it will be a good game, but there's no one else, no one out there who wouldn't rather watch the Aggies play the Longhorns on the 27th. So, now that that's been said, I completely agree with you about Chuba Hubbard. He is terrific he's a guy who doesn't get enough respect because you know Oklahoma State lost four games during the regular season but if the Pokes had played the whole season like they played the month of November Hubbard could have been a guy that was really higher up in the Heisman race they won four of their last five games the only loss coming to Oklahoma at the end of the season so I think that Oklahoma State um, is going to win this game I think they cover the spread easily I think Hubbard has a big day and the Cowboys end up coming out on top. Um, and what could, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this game was a bit more higher scoring than Vegas thinks as well. Totally. And also I'm with you on reviving the Lone Star showdown in one of these uh, these damn games. Uh, 
honestly, Utah versus Oklahoma State probably would have been even more fun to watch, just as Texas, Texas A&M would have been. Um, but we'll talk about Utah, Texas when we get to the Alamo Bowl. Uh, before we do that, though, we've got two more games on the 27th to talk about. First, the Holiday Bowl, which is uh, beginning its fifth decade of existence, which is funny to think about for a game that started in 1978 as the automatic tie-in for the Western Athletic Conference. Uh, now it's a Pac-12 Big Ten showdown uh, two hours down the road from the Rose Bowl, the original uh, Pac-12 Big Ten showdown. This year we get USC against Iowa, and the Hawkeyes are a two-point favorite. Uh, do you think that's a, a good call by by the Sharps there in Vegas? This game honestly feels like a pick to me. You got two quality um, sides going against the other and what could be one of the a really good game uh, in the Holiday Bowl this year. USC just um, just recently, as of the recording of this podcast at least, um, agreed to a contract extension with Graham Harrell. I think he's done an outstanding job. You can kind of see how big of a difference he's made for USC just by looking at what North Texas did this season without him on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, he's made a huge difference for a USC team that Hasn't been very good defensively this year, but they put up a lot of points on offense. They've been very explosive. And he's been able to do it regardless of who's taking the snaps at quarterback. You know, obviously, starting out the year with JT Daniels, had to go to Keaton Slovis because of injuries, even had to go down the depth chart past Slovis because of injuries, and they've still been able to muster up offense. Slovis has proven to be really, really good. This will be as tough of a test as he's faced, though, because this Iowa defense really gets after it. It'll be a big challenge. I think this has got the makings of what could be a classic Holiday Bowl matchup. I like USC, though, to just edge the Hawkeyes. Uh, 24-23 is what I had written down. So I like the Trojans in a in a really close game. Interesting, yeah. I uh, Given that Iowa is such a disciplined team, there's just something about Kirk Ferentz's team that they get the job done on that side, you know, in terms of not killing themselves. They're eighth in the country in the number of flags they see a game. They're fourth in the number of yards they lose to it. USC, on the other hand, has been undisciplined as hell. Clay Helton's team is sub-100 in all of these categories, whether it's yards per game, or yards lost per game, number of flags they see, and that's really a testament to how things go in a bowl game, because, you know, some players do opt to sit out as they're looking toward their draft stock, and, uh, you know, motivation is somewhat tied to discipline, and, I, I, I think Iowa at least wins this one by a field goal. Uh, so I see it like, you know, 23-20. I think that Iowa defense is good enough to hold back Slovis a bit as well because they're, you know, top 12 in efficiency defense and yards allowed. And they're, you know, not great at getting into the backfield. They're 20 uh, 44th in sacks 
per game. Uh, they get about two and a half, but I think they'll get pressure on him. I, I, I think USC realized that they were close to being able to play for the Pac-12 championship and kind of missed out on it. And I, I'm just wondering how motivated players are to actually play for Clay Helton still. So, I yeah, I think this is an Iowa win and they covered that that two-pointer. We're both projecting a pretty pretty good game. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a nice close game. You know, think like BYU Michigan back in the nineteen eighty four Holiday Bowl or something like that, except with no national championship on the line. In the last game of the day, we have the Cheez It Bowl to get to one of our uh, branded bowls uh, being played there in. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oh, Jesus, where is it? Oh, it's Phoenix, sorry. So, for our last game of December 27th, we've got the Cheez-It Bowl. They're in wonderful Phoenix at Chase Field. Uh, one of these games that's played at a baseball stadium, kind of like the Pinstripe Bowl. And we've got the high-flying Washington State attack against the supremely grounded Air Force attack. Uh, kind of feels interesting to say it that way. But Air Force is a three-point favorite in this game against Mike Leach's team. Uh, and I honestly think it could be even bigger than that. This is a really good Air Force team that's already won 10 games this season. And, um, you know, we talk about the high-flying exploits of, of Washington State or whatnot. Uh, they've obviously been great this year with Anthony Gordon at the helm, but no team averages more yards per completion than the Falcons. So uh, while they don't throw it a lot, they throw it far and they throw it well. And obviously they have one of the top three rushing attacks in the country. Uh, this is the first time in... A while that all three service academies have been one, two, three in rushing stats. Uh, so they came just under 300 yards a game on the ground, and I, I think they're gonna raise hell against that Cougars defense. And Wazoo's gonna be headed back to Pullman with tail between their legs. How about you, John? I I agree with you. Um, we're looking at really two conflicting styles, you know. Uh, really two teams that couldn't be more different in how they approach the game. So, you know, the option offense that Air Force runs is really hard to prepare for, even if you've got a bowl season. This isn't an offense that Mike Leach and his guys have ever really had to, to worry about combating. So this is a tough draw for them. The easiest way to keep, you know, Anthony Gordon and that Wazoo offense from putting up a lot of points is to keep them on the sideline. And that's what Air Force will do all game long. They'll go on the long, sustained drive. I just don't see Washington State being able to stop them enough to get their offensive chance to put up enough points on the board. So I agree with you. I think Air Force wins this game. I think they eclipse 300 yards rushing without breaking much of a sweat, and they end up uh, winning by a touchdown or more. Awesome. Well, take all of our agreement for what you will, folks, if you've been following over the course of the season. Uh, you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, be, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll be talking about the games leading up to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day on the final weekend of uh, 
of December. Uh, so once we get back from this break, we'll be uh, back with more bull previews. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We're here talking about bowl season in our enormous, gigantic, super spectacular bowl preview here. Uh, as always, I'm here with John Mitchell talking uh, about games against the spread. And the next one we have on the docket is the beginning of December 28th action on the final Saturday of this uh, 2019 and uh, it's the Camping World Bowl, another one of our bowl games in Orlando between Notre Dame and Iowa State. This is a uh, game where the Irish are favored by three and a half points. Uh, the Cyclones, we were both really high on this team in the preseason. Thought they'd be there playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Didn't really see Baylor coming, but, you know, I think for as disappointing as it was for Iowa State, this was a really good Cyclones team that didn't lose by a lot. This was a team where when they lost, it was sort of a heartbreaker every damn time. And uh, Notre Dame is one of those teams that's looked good but not great. We've seen that 21-20 victory over Virginia Tech at home. Games like that were sort of odd, you know. They had the 23-17 game against Georgia between the hedges where they looked good. But again, not great. Even on a day where Georgia's defense was humming, but their offense necessarily wasn't. And... I, I like Iowa State in this game. I don't know. I guess I'm just talking myself more and more into this, and I don't think it's just going to be Iowa State covering, but I think the Cyclones win outright. I like it. I think Iowa State's a better team than their record shows. Three of their five losses this year came by a combined four points. That's how agonizingly close the Cyclones were to 10-2 and two instead of 7-5. and five. You know, They had that brutal loss to Iowa early in the season, lost on a game-winning field goal to Baylor and then had that two-point conversion miss against Oklahoma. So they were that close to being a 10-1 team. I think we were right about the Cyclones team in the preseason. They just had some pretty awful luck. But I think this is their moment to really get that big signature win that they've come so close to getting all season long. Uh, I like Brock Purdy to have a big game against this Notre Dame defense. And I, you know, I think you hit it on the head. This is a good Notre Dame team, but this isn't the type of Irish team that we've seen that was a real contender um, I think Iowa State wins. I think this will be one of the games that's more shocking to the general public because I think a lot of money will come in on Notre Dame in this game. But I think Iowa State not only covers the spread, but also I think they went out right. I honestly, I've been seeing some of these preseason or like not immediately after the Heisman, you know, betting lines. Ian Book is way too high. I'm just going to say that. Uh, if you're looking at Ian Book and thinking to bet on him on the Heisman, please don't. At least don't yet. I don't think it's going to happen for you. Um, and I think this game is kind of going to expose that and knock that right back down is what's going to happen there. You might as well pile up some $100 bills in the middle of your living room and set them on fire. Yeah, I mean, which can be a really fun time. I, I like fire. 
Uh, <laughs> but is that really the choice you want to make? Our next game is the first of the New Year's Six games happening on December 28th. Uh, this is our annual group of five chance to take on a powerhouse as Memphis heads to uh, the Metroplex to take on Penn State at Jerry World. <coughs> the uh, Nittany Lions come in as a six and a half point favorite at this moment. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in this one. Obviously, there's a lot of buzz here in State College for making it to a New Year's Six game as an at-large team. At the same time, uh, you know, there was some questions about whether they would even make it to the Rose Bowl rather than to the Cotton Bowl. And I... Uh, I, I know Memphis is going to be up for this game. The group of five team always is. And they've got, you know, a really good backfield with uh, Kenneth Gainwell there and with Brady White throwing the ball. And I, I, I'm wondering, is this the year we see an AAC team knock off a powerhouse again? And I honestly think it can happen, especially because, you know, it's not just Gainwell, but you also have Antonio Gibson there, and you've got, um, you know, DeMonte Coxey catching the ball. You've got a really good offense there. Uh, Riley Patterson is still—it it feels like he's been kicking there forever. Obviously, it doesn't help that they used to have Riley Ferguson throwing the ball as well. Um, you've just had immediately overlap between the Rileys, and it's there's been a Riley significant on that team for just about forever. And uh, with that, you know, sort of aside in place, me rambling along, uh, I, I think this is the Tigers' year. They finally got over their AAC championship hump, uh, thanks in part to UCF not being there this year, maybe. Uh, but they took full advantage of that slip by the Knights, and, and they took charge of a race that was really good in the AAC West with SMU and Navy. And Penn State's been a great team. The, the defense is hell, uh, especially that front four. Shaka Tony is, is incredible. Micah Parsons coming in at linebacker. But Penn State offensively has been sort of an up-and-down journey, uh, whether they've had Journey Brown running the ball or they've had uh, Sean Clifford throwing it. And it's uh, it's one of those games I think Memphis wins outright just because they're the far more motivated team to crush this. Yeah, I think this will be a, a really good game. I, you know, Penn State, like you said, defensively, they're really tough on that side of the ball. They're going to focus all of their attention, I think, on Kenneth Gainwell, and Brady White's going to have to make a lot of plays through the air for them to have a shot. I just don't see Memphis being able to effectively run the football on this Penn State team. Conversely, I think Penn State will find success on the ground. Journey Brown really came alive in the second half of the season, was really impressive. I expect him to have a big game here. I actually do like Penn State to win. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a really, really good football game. 
Penn State slightly edges Memphis. Brady White throws an interception late on a drive where Memphis has a shot to win the game. Penn State's defense steps up when they need to. But I do think Memphis covers. Six and a half is a little too high. All right, everybody. We've got our uh, dis- some disagreement in the first of the New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, the second one of the day is the beginning of the college football playoff. Uh, first of all, I've got to ask, what do you think about moving these games to December 28th and letting them happen on the last Saturday of December? You know, it from a TV rating standpoint, it probably makes sense because, like you said, not everyone's going to be off uh, during the weekdays and stuff. Um just because they're holidays, and you know, that was off Saturday anyway. From a rating standpoint, probably it doesn't really matter to me though. I mean, I'm going to watch these games whenever they're played. We're diehards. We're in the same boat here. It doesn't matter to us, I don't think. Yeah, I, you know, I think it is a definite TV decision, and at the same time, it's probably good for the Bulls themselves. We've seen attendance issues even at. You know, some major bowl games, not necessarily New Year's Six ones, but, you know, some some pretty long-standing bowl games, they'll have attendance issues if they're happening on an odd day of the week. And the more you can put on Saturday, I mean, we've seen the same phenomenon in the regular season. As much as we love Maction, for instance, those weekday games plummet their in-person attendance. And uh, so I think this is going to help all around in that regard. It should make for a fun environment. The first game we have on the docket in our playoff semifinals is the Peach Bowl happening there in Atlanta between LSU and Oklahoma. The Tigers were obviously here uh, at the beginning of December beating Georgia in the SEC championship game. This is a venue that most... uh, SEC teams are pretty familiar with at this point, it seems, or at least SEC teams that are going to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma is coming here as a 13-point underdog uh, in a game where you have Joe Burrow facing off against Jalen Hurts. Do you think that LSU's defense can hold Hurts enough to let Burrow string out this to a 13-point victory? Probably. I mean, fun fact, Jalen Hurts, 3-0 and against LSU in his career. That's not a, a low blow at all. I'm not taking a jab at LSU there, I promise. Um, I'll be rooting for Hurts in this game, as you know. I really would love to see him lead Oklahoma to the upset here. I just can't see it happening. Burrow's just so ruthlessly efficient. That LSU offense has just been dominating everyone. And, you know, Oklahoma's defense, Alex Grinch deserves a lot of credit for the Sooners, definitely showing improvement on that side of the ball, but they still struggled against the better offenses they faced this season. I just can't see Oklahoma's defense getting enough stops for this for them to have a shot. My guess is this game looks pretty similar to Oklahoma's playoff game last year in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, where LSU probably jumps out to a decent-sized lead, Oklahoma fights back a little bit, but they're just going to run out of gas and not have quite enough. I just can't imagine the Sooners getting enough stops. I like LSU by at least a couple touchdowns. This feels, Zach, something along the lines of 52-35 in my mind. I just think LSU rolls up a lot of points and cruises to the national championship game. I think it's definitely going to be a high-scoring game. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But 
but I think this is another one of those games that's going to be high scoring on both sides, obviously. Um, I think Hertz does get it done against an LSU defense that's been, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like, you look at this LSU defense, they've been great intercepting the ball. So Hertz really has to watch out throwing the ball. They've been not so good at recovering fumbles. So, you know, the luck kind of balances out there. Defensively, they give up 341 yards a game. That's 32nd in the country. So they're in the top quartile. Um, but, you know, they're not a top 25 defense in that regard. They're not a top 25 defense in points allowed. They give up 21 points a game, which, you know, when we look at these averages and how it averages out, you have to also factor in that they're including games against cupcakes here and everything else. So, you know, you, you subtract those out and that kind of balloons up a little bit and a little bit more. And Oklahoma is more than just hurts, and they've proved that in recent weeks with Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson kind of busting out a little bit more and taking some of the load off him having to run the ball. But I think the fact is, is the fact that you have the threat of Hurts being able to run the ball makes the LSU defense be more honest than they have to be against most quarterbacks. Um, we saw Tua play well against them, even when he wasn't entirely mobile, for instance. And uh, I, I, I think this one, I think LSU wins. I am not going to say that LSU is going to lose this game. But I think this one's really close. I see it like a 48-45 game. One of the more interesting <laughs> matchups from this game will be o Oklahoma C.D. Lamb, who's one of the best receivers in the country, most likely matched up against LSU's freshman phenom. <laughs> Stingley. So I'm really excited to see those two fight it out over there. If Stingley can take Lamb away, it'll be interesting to see if Hurts can find someone else to get the ball to because a lot of Oklahoma's passing success in recent weeks, at least, has come just getting the ball to Lamb and watching him work. Undoubtedly. Um, so, yeah, but I think it, it, you're going to see more balance from Oklahoma than you have in recent weeks, and it's not going to be Hurts having to shoulder the whole load like he has for much of this season. And I think for that reason, I, you know, I think Burrow is just too damn good and... Big 12, no, no defense is going to be able to contain him for four quarters, whether it, it's a Big 12 defense or otherwise. And so, yeah, LSU moves on to that national championship, which we'll talk about two weeks from now once we find out whether we were right about this or not. Moving on to the second of our college football playoff semifinal games, we have the... Uh, PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. It feels like that's been sponsored by so many uh, different places over the years, but it it's, always it's Totino's until I'm dead. That's all. I'm yeah, doing. Tostitos. Tostitos fit right. You know, like there was something about the duck dumping chips all over his face that just still resonates with me. Uh, but we've got Ohio State and Clemson. Uh, in that final selection Sunday, it ended up being Ohio State that drew the Tigers, uh, the defending national champion Tigers, if you will. 
Uh, North Dakota State might have something to say about that, but that's another story. Uh, but anyway, I digress. We've got the Buckeyes coming in uh, to Glendale to play the Tigers, and you've got a team that had three of the top six in Heisman voting, uh, and you've got a team where a lot of people thought their quarterback would be the preseason, one of the preseason Heisman favorites. Kind of had a bit of a sophomore slump early, but has come on really hot of late, obviously talking about Trevor Lawrence there. Uh, and I, I, I think this is another one of those games that's a great shootout. You know, we've had a couple of duds in recent in recent years in playoff games, and I think neither one of these are this year. So we've got uh, Clemson coming in as just a two-point favorite in this game, and I honestly think the, Bu the Buckeyes win this one. I think we get an LSU-Ohio State national championship. What do you think about that, John? My hot take is the winner of this game wins the national championship. Yeah. I think either of them ultimately beats LSU in the national title game. These are the two most well-balanced teams in college football this year. You got two offenses that can beat you in either way. They've got you got two quarterbacks who will throw the ball over the top uh, in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, two guys who are very well connected to both guys coming out of the state of Georgia, 1A, 1B in terms of uh, the best quarterbacks that season um, at a high school. You got two running backs in Travis Etienne and J.K. Dobbins who are just dominant backs. Um, Etienne, again, really overlooked this year despite running for 1,500 yards and scoring 17 touchdowns on the ground. Both teams have really good skill guys on the outside. And you got a couple of defenses that are just dominant and can easily take over games. Uh, both teams allow less than 13 points per game. They both average more than 46 a game on offense. So I think it's a complete coin flip. I think the difference could end up being Chase Young for Ohio State. If he can get after Trevor Lawrence, or maybe if Clemson's so focused on Young that some of the other Buckeyes defensive guys can get off the edge and put pressure on Lawrence, I think that could be the difference in the game. I like Ohio State, but I think it's going to be – this could perhaps be the best game of the playoff era, in my opinion. You've got two just historically good football teams uh, doing battle here. I'll take Ohio State 38-35, but, again, that's – I think it's totally up in the air, a coin flip. But I do think the winner of this game goes on to win a national championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you there. I, I think the 2-3 is the winner. And it, it's interesting to think about. These are the top two defenses in the country by yards allowed. Uh, obviously, you know, Clemson played a somewhat weaker schedule than Ohio State did. So the fact that they give up 3.3 fewer yards per game isn't that big a deal. But both of these teams give up fewer than 250 yards a game. And uh, it, it it could be one of those more low-scoring games almost. You've got Clemson giving up just 10.6 yards a game. Ohio State just 12.5. And, and they obviously both score a lot, but they've, you know, piled it on in some games. They... Uh, I think this is the first time where both of them see a defense that can punch them back in the mouth. 
and I, I see this one being, I don't know, like, as, as high scoring as I think it could be, I think we could also get another one of these, like, 17-14 games where you're just like, what? But, I, you know, I, I think in the end, I, I do like Ohio State in this one. Anyway, moving on to December 30th, we've got a, a Monday that almost feels like a, well, a Monday. It's the last Monday of the year, and we got four bowl games to kind of shake the doldrums, but at the same time, I think part of having the college football playoff happen on that last Saturday is that all these bowl games that come afterward kind of feel like afterthoughts or... Um, you know, the big prize has already been won. And the the first game we get there is the first responder bowl uh, happening there at Gerald J. Ford Stadium, home of SMU there in Dallas. And can I just say, it always feels weird to me that we have the... It, I, I know this makes no sense. We already talked about the Cotton Bowl, but I'm going back because we're back in the Dallas area and it feels weird that the Cotton Bowl doesn't happen at the Cotton Bowl. And I wonder why more bowl games don't do that. It just, it, it's such an iconic venue. Why the hell don't we get more bowl games there? But we got Western Kentucky playing Western Michigan at SMU's stadium there in Dallas for the first responder bowl. And uh, Western Kentucky, those Hilltoppers come in as a three and a half point favorite. I don't know why, though, I like Western Michigan in this one. I don't even know why, but I I think Western Kentucky kind of had their high and then kind of crescendoed through the year. My bold prediction for this game, Zach, is it actually gets played this year after being canceled last year. So uh, we'll actually get a first responder bowl this year, so that's nice, um, pending weather, obviously. I, you know, this is another game that feels really evenly matched. you got a couple of teams who, you know, were solid if unspectacular in their respective conferences. I like Western Kentucky just because you like Western Michigan. I think that's fair. That, that <laughs> That's a good way to go with it. Uh, moving on, second game, we got the Music City Bowl. This is one of those uh, Power 5 games. We've got the rest of the way through the December 30th slate. Uh, happening there in Nashville between Mississippi State and Louisville. Both uh, fan bases should travel pretty well to this game, I think, there at Nissan Stadium. Uh, Bulldogs or Cardinals, who do you got? You know, I'm kind of on the fence on this one. You know, Louisville really exceeded anyone's expectations for them this year. Just being in a bowl game is such an impressive feat for Scott Satterfield. I just don't know, especially after watching Kentucky just roll all over them at the end of the regular season, particularly on the ground. I just don't know if Louisville's going to match up well in the trenches against Mississippi State. Uh, obviously, the Bulldogs will be without leading rusher Kylan Hill, who's skipping the bowl game to turn pro. They've still got some capable backs behind him. I think this will be a really good game as well. I think Louisville will stick with it. I think Mississippi State's advantage in the trenches on both sides of the ball is what ultimately plays the difference here. And Mississippi State ends up coming out with a pretty low-scoring win, 24-17, something along those lines. 
yeah, again, I think this is another one of those games where I talk about discipline. And I wouldn't say Mississippi State is great at preventing themselves from getting flags, but they're a hell of a lot better than Louisville is at taking flags. And, uh, you know, you combine that with, you know, Louisville has the 115th ranked rushing defense in the country. And if Mississippi State can do anything on offense, it's run the football. So I I think that's going to rule the day. And I think they cover that four-point spread as the Cardinals lose by around a touchdown, 10 points. Our third game, we uh, kind of flip and flop. We go to... uh, to Santa Clara first for the Red Box Bowl between Cal and Illinois, uh, everybody's favorite venue. Last year we saw an interesting game between Oregon and Michigan State. Uh, Hopefully we see a few more points in the game this year than we did then. Cal comes in as a touchdown favorite in what amounts to a home turf sort of game, or if we were talking about a pro league, this would be some of their territorial footprint, you know. Uh, Do you think the Illini can come in and pull off an upset like they did earlier this year against my uh, beloved Badgers? No, honestly. I I don't know. This might end up being just as ugly of a red box bowl this year as we had last year with Oregon Michigan State. Um you got a couple of offenses that have really struggled to put up points. The good news for Cal is they'll have Chase Garbers for this game, and you saw the difference he made uh, for the Golden Bears this year when he was out there playing quarterback. I don't see Illinois being able to go out west and win this one. I expect a pretty ugly, low-scoring game. Cal's defense, led by Evan Weaver and those guys, kind of take over and dominate. We end up getting something, you know, 17-10, something like that in favor of Cal. I'll go 20-10 just to say Cal covers the touchdown spread, but a, an ugly defensive struggle. See, no team in the country scores more defensive touchdowns than Illinois, and I think they get their seventh of the season this year uh, in this game against Cal. This is a Cal team that... Uh, doesn't lose a lot of turnovers. They've only given up 13 all season. But I think this is the time that it happens. As good as it is to have Garbers back, I think he just has one of those moments where he's just not completely sharp and at game speed still. And um, as healthy as he is, you know, it takes you time to get back up to that, that speed. And I think having the break almost will kind of blunt that for him again. And Illinois gets a pick six that makes this go 17, 13 their way. So we got a little disagreement. Before we head into the last of the New Year's Six games being played on December 30th, or the the last being played uh, in this segment that we're talking about, excuse me, uh, we've got the Orange Bowl between Florida and Virginia. Uh, this is one where we, we talked a little bit about automatic tie-ins and... Virginia getting in as the ACC's team 
uh, as the ACC runner-up after losing to Clemson, and Clemson getting into the college football playoff, obviously, uh, has some people just kind of rethinking whether or not we should have these automatic tie-ins. And uh, it, we certainly saw some of these matchups in the BCS era as well, where we just, it, it, you know, the the Big East, especially after you saw teams like Miami and Virginia Tech leave, you had some curious selections over the years. And, uh, you know, Florida, as a result, comes in as a 14.5-point favorite. Uh, do you think this kind of, uh, A, does a disservice to the Gators in terms of the the level of matchup that they get in the postseason after such a good season, and B, uh, do you think they're going to come in motivated enough to actually take care of business and show that this is a, an, a dumb thing? Yeah, I mean, I think Florida's motivated just from the standpoint that Dan Mullen can go and be 2-0 and in New Year's Six Bowls um, with the Gators. So, you know, you're absolutely right about bowl tie-ins. It's not Virginia's fault that they're in this game. Good for them for making it. But they don't deserve to play in the Orange Bowl based on the season that they had. It's not really fair to some of the other teams who, you know, had better seasons than could have been there. I This is probably the least exciting New Year's Six Bowl game that I can really remember. There's been a few duds across the board. But this is one that I'm just least looking forward to that I can think of in a while. <laughs> I... Virginia's offense stops and goes with Bryce Perkins. He's going to have to be superhuman for them to have a shot against the Gators. I just don't think he'll be able to do much with his legs. Florida's run defense is really dominant. I think they'll take that away and force him to stay in the pocket and make throws. We saw against Virginia Tech that he was able to do so in big moments against the Hokies, but this Florida defense is better than that Virginia Tech defense was. So I think Florida's defense dominates this game I think offensively they're able to put up enough points Kyle Trask makes some plays and Florida wins 31-13 yeah I I think that defense is going to be just as dominant against the Cavaliers as Clemson's was uh so I'm with you there I think Florida covers uh before we go to break though I'm just kind of, I suddenly started floating an idea in my head, and I just got to run it by you and, and just throw it out there. Imagine if, uh, kind of like in the BCS era, era, they had the stipulation where you had to go top 12, right, to get into the BCS for a, a non-automatic qualifying conference team. Basically what we have is the group of five now. And... Or you could go top 16 or top, yeah, it was top 16 and be ahead of an automatic qualifying conference champion. So imagine if there was some kind of stipulation, eliminate the the like threshold of how high you have to be, because we don't have that anymore with the group of five, and I think it's a good thing. But imagine if they had to, so if you don't get the conference champion that would automatically be tied to a bowl game. For instance, Clemson qualifies this year. Um, Ohio State qualifies this year. If there is a group of five team that's higher, group of five champion that's ranked higher than them, they have to consider them as the at-large bid to fill that spot that's vacated by the champion. 
I like it. I mean, you, you're talking about this year you get, instead of Florida, Virginia, you would get Florida, Boise State, or Florida, Appalachian State. That's a way more interesting matchup in my mind. Yeah. I, I, if you're listening, Selection Committee, uh, call me. We can talk about this more. I'd love to. We'd even have you on here to talk about it for the whole country. But before we get into our New Year's uh, Eve and New Year's Day Bowls, we're going to take our last quick break here. So uh, stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Welcome back to our last segment of our Big Bowl preview here at the Saturday Blitz podcast. I'm Zach Bagalki here talking with John Mitchell. Uh, we're going to talk about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day Bowls coming up. Uh, beginning with the December 31st Belk Bowl there in Charlotte. Uh, the last time that Belk will be sponsoring this bowl, and subsequently the last time that large swaths of the country will be left wondering what the hell is Belk. Um, we get a matchup between Virginia Tech and Kentucky in this game, and the Hokies come in as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, do you think Lynn Bowden and company can get the job done in this game, John? Bowden's one of my favorite players in the country. I've talked about him at length on this podcast. It's also hard not to be impressed with what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky this year with all the you know, injury issues they've had, particularly at quarterback, really running a one-dimensional offense that's predicated on just Lynn Bowden making things happen as a runner. Um Honestly, I'm more impressed with what he's done this season than last year when Kentucky won 10 games. Uh, it'll be interesting. This is Bud Foster's last game as Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator. What can he dial up against that Kentucky offense that has honestly been rolling the last few weeks? They were great against Louisville. A couple weeks prior, they were great against Vanderbilt. I do think the going will be a little bit tougher against the Hokies. The one thing I am comfortable with in this game is the over-under set at 47.5. I think the under hits with pretty e pretty easily here. I do think Bowden's going to have one last shining moment this season for the Wildcats. He breaks a long run late in the game that lifts Kentucky to the win. Uh, but 20-17 to 17 is what I think eventually will be the score. I think we'll hit the under pretty easily. We'll hit the under. And you think Kentucky's going to win this one? I, do. I think that's probably pretty fair. I think Virginia Tech comes into this game a lot less motivated to play than Kentucky does, especially with the adversity Kentucky had to take on throughout the year. Um, the Hokies, on the other hand, they win the Commonwealth Cup. They play Clemson. They're probably playing in the Orange Bowl right now. And, you know, as the team that has it, they'll just spot for the ACC. So... I think as much as Justin Fuente is a great coach and the run that they had to even put themselves in position for the Commonwealth Cup to be a play-in game from the Coastal is a testament to how good a coach he is. But I think getting this team motivated for a game in Charlotte is going to be a lot harder than it would have been motivating him for a, a big game in Miami. Uh, so yeah, I think Kentucky wins this game and subsequently covers the spread. Moving to uh, one of the five, six oldest games, bowl games in the entire country, the Sun Bowl out there in El Paso. We've got Florida State and Arizona State playing 
at uh, Sun or at the uh, Sun Bowl Stadium. Uh, the Sun Devils come in as a four and a half point favorite against Florida State, a team that is, you know, in the midst of flux at the school. Uh, obviously, uh, Willie Taggart's hire ended up not working out for them at least quickly enough as they would have liked, um, despite the fact that they are in a bowl game. But I, I think Jaden Daniels has the potential to have a really big game in this bowl against the Seminoles, and I'm curious to see if you think that's the case as well, John. Absolutely. I think Florida State's defense is right for the pick-in, so I think Daniels can have a big day through the air and on the ground. I think, you know, Benjamin as well. Um, I think the difference here is Florida State's kind of bread and butter um, offensively to maintain balance. It's got to be to get, you know, a good performance out of Cam Akers to take some pressure off James Blackman in that passing offense. I just don't think that Akers is going to find a lot of running room against a really good Arizona State front seven that only gives up 116 yards per game on the ground. So I think Daniels has a big day. I think Arizona State defense swarms Akers and company in the backfield. And I think Arizona State ends up winning this one by a touchdown or more. I think you're absolutely right. This is a game where we could see it come down to uh, turnovers. We could see it come down to penalties and I think both teams are ugly in this regard. We could see, I, I think this ends up being a really sloppy game in El Paso, but I think Daniels does put it together through the air enough to win something of, and I'm, see, I'm hesitant because we've seen Herm Edwards' team do really well defensively, and we've seen them, I mean, this is the team that knocked Oregon out of the college football playoff discussion. Let's, you know, not mince words. This is a And you're not bitter about that at all. No, not at all. No, not no, not at all. I love I love the Rose Bowl as we'll talk about soon enough. Although I, I really hate this damn Rose Bowl. <laughs> uh, again, we'll talk about that soon enough. Let's stick to the Sun Bowl right now. Uh, quite simply, Arizona State is a damn good team. Florida State is a team that has no no clue what the hell they want to be. This is Arizona's state. This is Arizona State's game flat out. They're gonna win this one by double digits. Moving to the Liberty Bowl, our middle game on the last day of the year. We've got Navy facing off against Kansas State as a two and a half point favorite. Uh, these are both teams that ended the year uh, on a fairly strong note, and you know neither one of them was necessarily in their conference race in the end, but both had solid campaigns. Uh, Kansas State, obviously, in Chris Kleeman's first season there in Manhattan, and uh, Navy, as they always do, just having another one of those solid solid years uh culminating in that victory uh pretty emphatic victory against army that we saw last saturday i i think this is navy's game as much as i love clayman as a coach and uh 
think that in the next couple of years, he's really going to have Kansas State back in Big 12 contention. Uh, Navy and, and Malcolm Perry are just going to have a, a field day on the ground as the best rushing team in the country. I agree. Um, I think this is really Navy's shot to, to really make a statement against the Power 5 team. We're both really high on their shot and their chances against Notre Dame in November, and that kind of got away from them pretty early. Um, and I think they're going to be looking to make up for that against the Kansas State team. So a really good opportunity for them in the Liberty Bowl to, to make that kind of statement. Malcolm Perry coming off that 300-yard rushing day against Army. He's got that offense rolling. Kansas State's defense was good this year, but not quite at the level that uh, a Wildcats team would typically be at or a Chris Kleiman coach team would be at. So I think they'll struggle to stop that rushing attack um, by Navy. I think this has a chance to be a pretty low-scoring game. I'm kind of surprised to see the over-under at 52 when you've got two teams that really prefer to keep the ball on the ground. So I'm not sure how many possessions – will get out of this game. I like Navy 24-17 to ultimately take down Kansas State. Uh, yeah, I think you're right about this being a low-scoring game. These are two of the top 11 teams in, in the country in terms of time of possession, which means they both like to hold it for a really long time whenever they have it. And it, you're exactly right. This could be like a 10-possession game at most, you know? Um, if the teams really do choose to grind it out and in due of that opportunity, obviously, if the defenses don't get stops. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Navy wants to, you know, is just be a better team right now. And they also have the added motion, motivation of atoning for their earlier loss against Memphis that basically kept them out of the AAC championship game and out of the the New Year's Six spot at the Cotton Bowl that they could have very well been playing in. So for the first time since, I think, 1962 or 1963, uh, back when Roger Staubach quarterbacked that team. Anyway, I, I think we're both in agreement there. Uh, yet again, everybody. And... Uh, we move on to our fourth game out of the five on December 31st. This is one near and dear to my heart. Uh, Wyoming will be playing Georgia State in the Arizona Bowl. Uh, Vegas likes the Pokes as a seven-point favorite. I'm obviously inclined to love on them as well, even though this is a team that, let's face it, has... Yeah, they've been all right. They're obviously not a passing team. This has definitely been a team whose entire uh, success has been predicated on running the ball and on uh, playing good defense. So uh, you don't, you know, Sean Chambers is 131st in the country in passing touchdowns with seven of them, and otherwise he hasn't even. Uh, thrown enough passes to be ranked in yards per game or passing efficiency or anything else. So that's the kind of team that this this Wyoming team is. And I think Zazavian uh, Valade has a, a good game against Georgia State. 
Uh, this is a Georgia State team that's been, oh, uh, you know, 116th in rushing defense. So it's it, it lines up exactly the way Wyoming wants it to be. Uh, you know, this game to be played, it lines up to all their strengths. And I'm certainly not crying as somebody who grew up in Wyoming rooting for Wyoming. I, I think they easily cover the spread. Yeah, I honestly think this is a, this is a bad matchup for Georgia State. You know, just like Wyoming, Georgia State would prefer to keep the ball on the ground. They're a run-based offense. Um, and that's really tough to do against this Wyoming defense. Who's, you know, they've given up less than 100 yards per game against the run. They've been susceptible to the pass. I just don't know that the Panthers will be able to put up enough through the air to make that um, – be a, a factor in this game. So I think Wyoming's defense is the story here. I think they hold Georgia State down and they win. Um, I agree with you. I think they cover the seven-point spread. Awesome. Our last game on December 31st, a game to round out 2019 before the ball drops, is uh, the Alamo Bowl, which features the only Power 5 uh, conference finalist that isn't going to a New Year's Six bowl game uh, in Utah. We've got uh, the Utes headed to San Antonio instead to take on the Texas Longhorns as a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, obviously, this is a sort of firefight between Tyler Huntley and uh, Sam Ellinger. I think Zach Moss kind of is the X factor here who can really make the biggest difference on the field. And, uh, but even more than that, Utah's defense, even after what Oregon was able to do to them, is still one of the best defenses in the country. They're still the top rushing defense in the country. They're, Let's face it, this is a Kyle Whittingham coach team, and they're going to be prepared for a bowl game. And I just wonder, not many coaches can get a team up for just about any bowl game as Kyle Whittingham can. He's been doing it since his team was in the Mountain West, so he's got that track record. And I just don't know that Tom Herman can do the same thing. Yeah, when in doubt, pick Kyle Whittingham to win bowls, right? Like, he's dynamite in postseason play and has been for a while. Um, you know, motivation here could be on Texas's side because you got a Utah team who's got to be disappointed losing a shot at, you know, what would have been probably a college football playoff berth had they beaten Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. And now they're down to the Alamo Bowl. So a pretty big fall. The good news is they draw a Texas team – that, you know, not your, not the best Texas team we've seen, a disappointing season for the Longhorns, obviously, but they're still Texas. They still carry that name value. It's still a chance for a program like Utah that's built up from the ground, going through the Mountain West, getting into the Pac-12 and becoming a legitimate contender, can really hang their hat on winning a game like this. Um, Texas's defense has been horrendous. Most of the season, I think Tyler Huntley has a big game through the air. I do think Sam Ellinger and that Texas offense are going to be able to move the ball and put up some points against the Utah defense, but I don't think it's going to be enough. 
I think this is a little bit higher scoring of a game than probably most people would expect. But I think Utah wins uh, 41-27 was what I had. So the Utes roll uh, to a two-touchdown victory in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, I think Ellinger has a really good game. And I think Bradley and Nay hits him and forces a pick six as well at some point in this contest. So if you want some kind of weird prop bet, there's one for you. Uh, that does it for 2019, though. And... Uh, you know, our next podcast will be coming to you on January 1st after we take our holiday break. And uh, so we're going to talk about those games that will be happening because we won't have enough time to talk about them before we talk to you again. Uh, moving along, the first one of that game is one that's closer to your heart. Interesting to see Alabama not playing in the college football playoff for the first time in six years, or even a New Year's Six Bowl, you know. Um, but they did get a hell of a matchup in the Citrus Bowl against Michigan. Uh, first time in a while these two teams have played in a bowl game, and Bama comes in as a seven-point favorite. Mac Jones is, you know, he looked really good except for those those two really unfortunate picks against Auburn um, that proved truly costly. But other than that, you know, he looked great. And I think against a team like Michigan, he can, he can have a hell of a game and Najee Harris against that Wolverines <clears throat> defense is going to be able to move the ground the ground game consistently. I, I'm curious if he'll be able to bust off a big run, but I, I think the chains will keep moving and Nick Saban's crew will move on because when we talk about motivation, um, obviously Alabama's disappointed not to be going to a bigger bowl game that's kind of... Um, not necessarily birthright as you can speak because this has not always been the case for Alabama. You know, the Citrus Bowl used to be a, a, a great thing for a team like Alabama and expectations have heightened. But at the same time, expectations were sky high in Ann Arbor this year. Jim Harbaugh's team was supposed to finally win the Big Ten now that Urban Meyer was out of the Big Ten East. And it was ripe for the picking. And, you know, they played really well against the teams they were supposed to beat. And they couldn't get it done against anybody else. So I, I, I think Alabama wins handily in this one. Um Imagine something like when they played, I think it was Michigan State, was it in the Citrus Bowl or the Outback Bowl? Uh, God, it was like a decade ago at this point. That might have been the 2007 season. It was 2010, so okay. that was the last time that... The last time that Alabama wasn't in the college football playoff race. And that was like um, a 49-7 game, wasn't it? Yeah, 49-7. I could see it totally being something like that in this one. Yeah, I what 
I don't think you have to worry about motivation in this kind of game because I think both teams are disappointed to be in the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. But you got two blue bloods going against each other, right? Two historic programs in Alabama versus Michigan. You don't have to tell your guys if you're out, if you're Nick Saban to be fired enough to play a team like Michigan. Conversely, you don't have to Jim Harbaugh doesn't have to tell his guys to be fired enough to play Alabama. So I think that helps. I was worried, Zach, that Alabama was going to have a significant number of underclassmen sit out this game to prepare for the NFL draft. But as with bowl practices starting and all that, the only guys who were confirmed sitting out with the rest of the guys practicing is, and admittedly, two pretty significant losses, Terrell Lewis and Trayvon Diggs, both of which suffered season-ending injuries a year ago, and both, you know, understandably considering their long-term health as they head to the NFL but I expected guys like Jerry Judy, Najee Harris, Jedrick Wills, and a host of other guys to be sitting out. Jerry Judy kind of set the standard coming out and saying he was playing in this game. I think that's huge. I think Alabama's offense proved, even without Tua Tungavailoa, that they're one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, no one all season long did what they were able to do in the Iron Bowl against Auburn, putting up 45 points against that really good Auburn defense. I don't know that this is going to be quite the blowout as that Michigan State game was, but I do think Alabama wins this game comfortably. Uh, I think Mac Jones has a really strong performance as he pushes forward to potentially be the starter next year. Uh, and I think Najee Harris has a big game. Michigan was actually the team that finished runner-up for his recruitment, so you know it's going to be kind of sweet for him to finish his college career against the Wolverines, a school he almost went to. So I like Alabama. I think uh, I do think Michigan will have some success on offense against a kind of depleted Bama defense, but I do like Alabama to ultimately win uh, 30, I'd say probably 41-24, 41-21, something like that. It is comfortable. I think uh, they'll definitely cover the seven-point spread. Awesome. Well, we've got the uh, Outback Bowl as our second game on New Year's Day before we get into the last of the six New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, this one features a Minnesota Golden Gophers team that very nearly played for the Big Ten Championship against an Auburn team that played a hell of a, a spoiler role throughout the season, um, eliminating both Oregon and Alabama in a way, from the college football playoff discussion in uh, book-ending season victories. Uh, Auburn comes into this game as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite there in Tampa. Um, the Golden Gophers, obviously, are really excited to be playing a New Year's Bowl for the first time in some time. Uh, but at the same time, they're disappointed to have missed out on that shot of going to the Rose Bowl that would have happened had they gotten to play the Buckeyes. Um, so Auburn comes in as a seven and a half point favorite. I, I don't think it's going to be that wide. I think Minnesota has enough motivation getting to play a good team like Auburn that PJ Fleck will have them rowing the boat. Uh, and I honestly think Minnesota wins this one outright. They're a really good team that, being here in Big Ten country this year, I saw a lot, even when they were airing on the Big Ten network earlier this season. And they got something of a bad rap the way things went against teams like South or uh, against South Dakota State and, uh, you know, throughout their non-conference schedule, Fresno State, etc. 
But at the same time, this is a good Golden Gophers team, and um, I, I'd be shocked if if they didn't pull off an upset in this one. All right, so I actually disagree uh, on that. I think we're going to see kind of a similar turnout to when Minnesota played Wisconsin at the end of the regular season. I just don't know that they're going to be be able to hold up in the trenches. Auburn's defensive front is as good as anybody's in college football. Trying to block Derrick Brown in the middle is a nightmare. So good luck to the interior of the interior of the Golden Gophers offensive line trying to do that. Um, I think with time to prepare, Gus Malzahn's going to have a good offensive plan. He's going to put Poe Nix in some situations to help him succeed. And I think Auburn's going to ultimately win this game by a couple touchdowns. So I think it'll be a bit lower scoring because I think Minnesota's defense will hold up pretty well for most of the way. But I like Auburn 24-10. See, I think it'll be higher scoring. I think it'll be closer. And I guess I just have more confidence in Tanner Morgan than I do in Bo Nix. And that's despite the fact that I watched him beat Justin Herbert in the season opener in his first career start. I also saw Tanner Morgan throughout the season, and even in defeat, he has been a really good quarterback. And I think that he, you know, at the very least, he's going to keep that close enough that it's, uh, you know, they're covering the spread. And I'm really confident that this could be like a a 31 27 victory. I hope you're right. I know you are. With that, let's uh, let's move on to our uh, last two of the New Year's Six Bowls, beginning with the uh, the granddaddy of them all sitting out there in the the shadow of the San Gabriel Mountains and the uh, in the Arroyo Seco of Pasadena. Otherwise, this year known as the Bigalki Bowl. Oh my God! Yes. Um, so, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, uh, I was born in Wisconsin. All my family are Badgers fans. I grew up a Badgers fan. I've got a bunch of Badgers gear sitting in my my closet that family sends me. I'm also an Oregon graduate uh, who worked for the university for five and a half years as a caterer before I finally went back and got my bachelor's degree there and went on to get my master's degree there as well so I'm a double duck in terms of my alma mater and I'm a badger by birth and so I saw this game last in it was 2012 I believe New Year's Day 2012 when uh, Russell Wilson was quarterbacking the Badgers and Darren Thomas was quarterbacking the Ducks and uh, that was held then. Oregon ended up winning something like 48-45, I think. And, uh, you know, we could probably see a similar game this time. I think Jonathan Taylor has a ridiculous game against Oregon. Uh, conversely, I think Justin Herbert and C.J. Verdell and, a real, you know, I say C.J. Verdell, but that's also Cyrus Habibi Likio. That's Travis Dye. Um, Darian Felix, we got a lot of good players on that team that in that backfield that can challenge a really strong Badgers front seven. 
and I say we back and forth, and I'm sorry, everybody, because I'm confusing we the Badgers with we the Ducks, and that's the kind of game this is for me. Um, so I'm not a partial observer to be talking to, or maybe I'm the most impartial observer because um, victory for either of these teams is simultaneously going to make me really excited and really pained inside. So I... I think in the end, this is one of those games where uh, Justin Herbert's going to go out on top. He's He needs to have a statement moment to, to really stand out again in terms of his NFL draft stock. This has been a season where the Ducks won the Pac-12 without much difficulty. But at the same time, Herbert never looked like the preseason Heisman contender that we expected him to be as somebody who was, you know, we were honestly shocked was coming back for another season to Eugene when he was pretty much a surefire first round draft pick, probably top five, top ten at most. And now that's kind of in question and he needs to have a big game against a team like Wisconsin that, you know, we saw it against Illinois, can really give it up against the long ball. And if he's actually on target with his long ball in Pasadena, um, which he certainly can be, um, but has kind of sidearmed some things this year, kind of thrown at receivers' feet or launched it over their head. Um, if he's on target, though, which I think he'll be, Oregon's going to win this one by... Uh, touchdown. So what you got to do, Zach, when I used to play NCAA football on the Xbox years ago, is I just played as both offenses all the time and just swap back and forth. So you just got to cheer for the offenses in this game and you'll be good to go. Yeah, I could, you know, I could totally handle Jonathan Taylor having a 250-yard game in what's his last college football game. I could totally see Justin Herbert throwing for 400 yards. I could see Jack Cohn having a great game against an Oregon secondary that just hasn't been as tight as it has been in seasons past. And, yeah, you know, I want to see a shootout. I want to see, like, a 48-41 shootout, Oregon winning it. I see this being more of a defensive struggle, to be honest. you got two really good defenses in this game. I think it's going to come down to whether or not Justin Herbert is able to have a really strong game because Wisconsin's run defense, I think, is going to shut down C.J. Verdell and the rest of those really good duck running backs and force Herbert to make plays over the top. Now, he's certainly capable of doing so, but like you said, there's been several games where he's been really inconsistent on being able to move the ball through the air. I think Wisconsin's offense eventually wears down Oregon's defense, and eventually Jonathan Taylor punches through and breaks through for a couple long touchdown runs that ultimately proved to be the difference in this game. I like Wisconsin uh, to pull it out 27-21. I think it's a really close, a really quality road ball, but I like the Badgers. It, you know, like I said, either way, I'm simultaneously giddy and dejected. So, you know, this is one of those uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't bowls for me. So let's just move on to the last one we're going to be talking about this week. This is the last of the New Year's Six games, obviously, uh, traditionally taking place right after the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl there in New Orleans. 
you have uh, Georgia coming in as the replacement uh, for LSU, and you have uh, Baylor coming in as the replacement for Oklahoma, uh, both conference finalists there, and uh, Georgia comes in as a seven and a half point favorite. Um, and I'm curious if you think that this is going to play out that way, John. Knowing you know, knowing what you've seen from uh, Georgia, probably more than I've gotten to this year, based on where you're at. Yeah, this just you know, it seems like a similar script to last season, right? You got a Georgia team coming into the Sugar Bowl, disappointed that they didn't quite get it done, finished right outside of the college football playoff at number five, and then got, you know, physically beaten down by a Texas team that came into the game with a lot of motivation. Um, I could see a similar scenario playing out here. Georgia's offense has been brutal in recent weeks. Uh, like we talked about earlier, this isn't a vintage LSU defense, and Georgia's offense could only manage 10 points in the SEC championship game. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't make plays. Um, I just don't know how well the Bulldogs will be able to do on that side of the ball. And I think Baylor's got all the motivation in the world coming into this game. You've got a team who, you know, finished the year 11-2, and two, and there's still, I think, a large portion of the country that doesn't believe the Bears are a really good football team, despite the fact that both of those losses came to Oklahoma, both of which happened by one possession, you know. So they were that close to getting into the college football playoff themselves. <laughs> so I actually think that Baylor's not only going to cover the spread here, Zach, I think they're going to ultimately win this game outright. I could see it being a defensive struggle with Baylor's defense kind of taking control, but also Georgia's defense not letting Baylor run roughshod on the other side of the ball. So I think it'll be a defensive game, but I ultimately think Baylor wins 24-21. Nice. Well, folks, you get one last dose of agreement before we uh, head out from this week's podcast. Because the fact is, like you said, Baylor lost to Oklahoma twice. The second was in overtime in in the Big 12 championship game. In a game where they were playing their second and third string quarterbacks because Charlie Brewer got knocked out of the game. So, you know, you had Jerry Bohannon and Jacob Zeno throwing touchdown passes in that game to keep Baylor in it. Ultimately, Zeno couldn't get it done in overtime. Frankly, that's no knock on him against Oklahoma. Um, we've obviously seen Georgia had some issues with overtime this year, uh, given what we've seen against South Carolina when Rodrigo Blankenship sort of soiled what was an otherwise sterling uh, season where he won the the Groza Award. Uh, I have some thoughts on that. I don't know that he should have necessarily won that award, but that's another question. Uh, I, I, I won't digress too much there, everybody. You can uh, ping me on Twitter if you're interested about that. But we, you know, I, I think Baylor is one of those teams that continues to be overlooked despite the way they played against Oklahoma both of those times and the way they were, you know, so close to getting it done. And I think this is their opportunity to finally show up big against an elite top five team. And 
this is the time where it's like, you know, I, I, I think it's low scoring. I think you get like a 24-16 kind of game where Bayward gets a late score that kind of boosts it up. Uh, you know, I think they get a couple of late scores. I think Georgia goes into halftime maybe up 16-10. And then you get two touchdowns in the second half by Baylor sort of flipping the script on what they had against a team like Oklahoma. I'm surprised we agreed on that one, but, you know, I think that conventional wisdom would tell you Georgia wins that game, but, you know, we're anything if not unconventional. We're not conventional guys, everybody. Um You know, in terms of the podcast, we also do food and drink every week. I'm honestly, because we're going to be going for the next couple weeks and we're going into holiday, you you all have your favorite holiday foods. You've got your favorite holiday things to drink, whether it's your brandied eggnogs or, you know, your uh, hot buttered rums or your, you know, spiked ciders or have something nice and warm and holiday and festive. That's all I'm going to say about that. And... Whatever you like to carve up for uh, a holiday dinner of whatever persuasion you may be, um, enjoy the hell out of it as you're watching these bowl games. Because um, And may there be a lot of leftovers to enjoy with these bowl games. Because if you're trying to track along like we are, you don't have a ton of time to be cooking for yourselves. So... Cook a damn good meal when you get that opportunity and enjoy the football the rest of the way. On that note, from the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody, uh, we hope you have a great rest of your uh, 2019, and we look forward to joining you again for more podcast bliss in 2020. Thanks for tuning in.